I, I really feel famous now. Uh, hi, I'm Joe. I'm a compulsive overeater and a restrictor. <coughs> Thanks so much for asking me to leave the meeting, Tammy. Um, yeah, so just a little bit of my stats, I guess. I came into program June of 2019, so a little over three years ago, and I got abstinent at the end of October. Um, so my abstinence date is October 29th, 2019. Um, yeah, you know, my journey with program begins a little bit before that because I, I come from another program, another 12-step program, um, but my journey with food you know, goes back pretty much as far as I can remember. Um, you know, when I was a little kid, I definitely, like, the primary thing I remember of my childhood is just feeling incredibly anxious um, and afraid all the time. And, you know, when I was little, I didn't really have much recourse for that. I had a lot of, I realize now, like, I have a lot of needs that really weren't being met, and I didn't know how to express that. Like, I didn't know how to say, like, I want this, and I want that, and I don't know how to get it. So it was just me feeling uncomfortable in my own skin. And, you know, I remember the third grade, I'd come home every day, and I would just binge eat snacks and, you know, junk food and watch television because I didn't have any friends. And, you know, I remember I started to gain a lot of weight. And I was kind of like, oh, great, now I have another thing to feel anxious about and uncomfortable about. Um, and I, I remember feeling like, okay, I, I, I don't quite know what's going on with my body, but hopefully, like, everything will work out. And my brother sort of told me, like, well, once you go through puberty, everything kind of levels out. And I was really hoping that that would happen for me, and unfortunately it did not. Um, and, you know, when I was in middle school, I, you know, realized I was gay and luckily I grew up in a home that was really accepting like my mom's siblings two of her siblings were gay and we went to a really accepting church so I was kind of like that wasn't morally an issue it was just kind of like okay another thing to add to the things that make me different and make me feel self-conscious about myself um and I had a relationship with a higher power as far back as I can remember that was always something it was never something I had any hurdles to which I feel really lucky and privileged about um you know it was just explained to me like there's a like a loving creator who loves you and created you and loves you just the way you are and i was like that's great <laughs> like i love that and so i ever since i was a little kid i i believed in this higher power and you know i'd talk to him and i'd and i'd really believe like somebody was there and listening to me um, but there were so many things that were outside of my control that were really scary and I didn't know how to deal with. And, um, you know, I was kind of like, okay, I don't really know what's going on here, but <laughs> I never stopped believing that one day everything would be okay and that I'd have, like, the life I wanted to have. So every summer when I was a kid, I was like, okay, this is going to be the summer. I'm going to start working out. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to lose weight. I didn't know how to do any of those things. Um, and I didn't even know about, like, restricting or, like, you know, not eating. So I was just like uh, left with no tools to deal with my overeating. Um, and I continued to gain weight and I continued to feel uncomfortable in my body. And um, then when I was 16, just about to turn 17, I found alcohol and that became its own thing. Um, but interestingly enough, in my journey with that, food was always hand in hand. So anytime I would binge drink, I would binge eat. It would all be about, like, what can I do to put in my body to make me feel better? Um, and I never consciously associated food with, like, 
stress or self-soothing. It was always just like, it feels good to eat, so I will. Like, I didn't think I was running from anything or trying to numb out or avoid dealing with any emotions. Um, But, you know, I went to college, and that was a really rough transition because I had no structure. I had no really ability to get myself to do anything. And so, you know, I was suddenly in this new environment, and I was meeting all these other gay people my age for the first time, and I was really excited about that. But, you know, I was very heavy and nobody was paying any attention to me. And that was really depressing. And I would drink a lot and I'd get really drunk at, you know, parties for like the gay organizations. And I made like a really bad name for myself because I just made a fool out of myself. Um, And that was really like isolating and, and kind of disheartening. And I always told myself, like, if I could just get it together to lose weight, like, everything would be better. I'd have all these things that I wanted. I'd have a partner. I'd have more friends, all of this stuff. And, um, you know, finally I ended up hitting the bottom with, my, with the alcohol um, just before my final semester of college. And I started going to that 12-step program. And for whatever reason, I was really ready to deal with that. And, you know, once I had steps and once I had, like, an actual relationship with my higher power, more than just, like, oh, I believe, but, like, I I don't act on faith. Like, I don't believe that, you know, my higher power will take care of me if I do X, Y, and Z. Um, I was like, okay, now I want to lose weight. Like, now I can do it. And, um, you know, at the time, I... I don't think I consciously thought this, but it was definitely in my head that, like, if I don't give up alcohol, I'm never going to be skinny, and I'd rather die. So I'm, I'm kind of grateful to my compulsive overeating, you know, persona of, of who I am because it helped me deal with that addiction, um, even though that's a totally messed up reason for <laughs> wanting to get sober. So I was newly sober. I was like, okay, I'm going to start eating healthy and I'm going to start exercising. I started, like, writing down everything I would eat. I still had no idea what healthy eating looked like. So I'd go to the dining hall and I'd just, like, binge on vegetables and be like, okay, if I can fill up on that, then I won't fill up on the bad stuff. And it, for whatever reason, it worked. And just doing massive amounts of cardio. And I ended up losing, like, 30 to 40 pounds really quickly within, like, a little over a month. And that felt great. And that was, like just as good a feeling as getting sober. And so I was like, wow, I can really get used to this. And I had a roommate who taught me about, like, lifting weights. So I was like, okay, I'll I'll start doing this because, you know, I want to be muscular and all this stuff. And then I moved to Los Angeles, and, you know, we have our own stuff with uh, body, and especially in the gay community. And, um, you know, I, I, I still wanted to continue losing weight because at this point I was, I had lost enough weight to be under 200 pounds, but I still wasn't what I wanted to be. So I met a guy um, when I was working at this coffee shop who knew a lot about fitness and nutrition, and we really bonded over that. And so I get a lot of advice from him about, like, what to eat and how to work out, and we became really friends, and we started working out together. And then... I really started to treat him as like my new higher power and, you know, everything he knew about what to eat and, you know, what everything I was doing wrong when I was trying to eat healthy and how to work out to do X, Y, and Z. And I started to really get in really good shape. But he would say things to me like, you know, 
well, this is a really good supplement to take for, like, you know, your gut health. And I'd be like, well, is it going to make me skinny? And he'd be like, no. And I'm like, then I don't care. <laughs> I just want to lose weight. Um, and I was really, really dead set focused on that. And so, you know, we would be all talking about body fat percentages, and he'd do the measuring with the caliper, and we'd be in the, um, the locker room doing this. And... I'd be weighing myself every morning at the exact same time um, and using my fitness pal to record every calorie I ate. I got really into calorie counting, like obsessively so, and macros, and I was constantly like, okay, this is what I can cut out so that I can have this, and I can lose this weight, and I can go on this calorie deficit. And I was working out with him. You know, we'd meet at 10 a.m., grab coffee, go to the gym, work out until, like, 1 and then I'd go to work at this coffee shop. I would be intermittent fasting, so I would eat like 60% of my calories for the day in this 30-minute window before work. And everybody I worked with knew, like, do not talk to Joe when he is eating before work because I would bite their heads off. Oh, my God. One time, it's really funny, my favorite memory of why I'm a compulsive overeater is I was at work, and I was next door at the, like, meat place, and I was getting this lettuce wrapped boneless skinless chicken breast and I was waiting in line it was taking forever and I was going to have to work and I was getting really anxious and I finally got it and I came back to eat it and I bumped into one of my coworkers and dropped it on the ground and I was so angry at her but I was like I'm not going to say anything so I like picked it up and I was like well I need the protein so I took the chicken washed it off in the sink ate it was so sick later that day. And I always remember, like, okay, floor chicken was my <laughs> sign that I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, so anyway, so, you know, my parents were kind of worried about me because they were like, you know, you're losing a lot of weight. And I wasn't getting to the point where I was, like, visibly underweight or, like, looking unhealthy. <clears throat> but I was so obsessively focused with losing weight, and I was so... I didn't realize at the time, but I had enough body dysmorphia that I was convinced that if I didn't lose this weight, everybody was like, oh, you're still heavy. Like, I never shed that identity of a fat person, and I still haven't shed that identity. I still, that's as much a part of me from, you know, when I was in the third grade until the day I die, I'm always going to see myself in that category. Um, And... So I was just really obsessed with losing weight, but the restriction was starting to become unmanageable. I was thinking about food all the time, 24-7. I would spend hours sitting on my couch working with my fitness pal, being like, okay, next week for lunch, if I have, you know, 0.8 ounces less of this chicken breast, then I can have one extra square of dark chocolate and just obsession. Um, And, uh, you know, I was losing a lot, a lot of weight. And... It would turn into me losing control. So I'd be out of town, and that was always my biggest trigger, is it's like, if I'm not in my routine, I'm just going to binge. So I'd be, like, on this beach trip with my family, and there'd be, like, an, a coffee cake, you know, one of those big square ones. And I texted my friend, I was like, I just ate the whole coffee cake. And he was like, why? And I was like, I have no more idea than you have. And it was insanity. And so it would sort of be, like, a lot of... You know, then I'd come back and I'd be like, well, now I need to do another diet because I binged this week. So I really became obsessively focused on that. Um, and then I finally got down to 10% body fat to this, like, pound, poundage or whatever that I had told myself I wanted to be. Um, 
And I was like, okay, now what? And it was like, well, it's time to like start to eat more so you can grow muscle and then you'll eat less so you can shed fat. And I was like, oh God, it's going to be a whole cycle pretty much forever. Um, but I was starting to realize like once I was increasing the amount I was eating, like that just made the food obsession worse because I was just now licensing myself to binge. So I'd be like, oh, it's a carb refeed day. So I'm going to eat 6,000 calories and I'm going to have like a tablespoon of maple syrup and I'm going to have like, you know, all of this stuff. And I remember one time I did that. I was doing this carb refeed right before I was going on to work. And I've just had so much sugar that I feel high. And this guy comes up and is like, I need $105 gift cards. And I had to swipe them one at a time and, I, and like entering into the computer. So I'm just like, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to have a heart attack. And I was sort of like, okay, this feels really unhealthy to me. Um, and the binge started to increase in frequency. I would start to binge more and more often. And I'd write it down and I'd be like, okay, I was watching TV and I was eating graham crackers and I couldn't stop and I just ate the entire box. And even though my stomach hurt, I would continue eating. I was really afraid of this. And, um, you know, I, 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 was, I remember in 2019, I was watching this thing in my living room and I went to the kitchen to grab a protein bar and I came back and I ate it. And I wasn't supposed to have any more calories for the day. And I was like, I want another one. So I went back and I got another one and I ate it. And then I went back and got another one. And I did this seven times. And I don't know about you guys, but seven protein bars is too much for anybody to have in one sitting. And I was just like, this is insane behavior. And that was the moment that I was like, okay, I think I need to check out the food program because this is starting to feel like the alcohol felt for me. And I was in a meeting of that program and somebody said, um, you know, they were talking about the psychological phenomenon of craving and how once you start, you can't stop. And I, something clicked and I was like, that's how I feel about food. Like, that's food for me. So I went to an OA meeting the Wednesday morning um, at 8,000 Sunset. And uh, it was so liberating to hear people talking about um, food using 12-step language. And I was like, wow, okay, I'm in the right place. But I was totally messed up in my head about what I wanted out of program and what I thought I needed. So I was like, okay, I want to find a diet plan. I want to find a sponsor who has what I want, which means that they're skinny and they work out X amount of times per week and they do this, that, and the other. But I just waited and I continued coming to meetings and I listened to people's shares and I heard people share about you know, the obsession with dieting and the orthorexia and the calorie counting, um, which funnily enough for some people is like an amazing tool that helps with their abstinence and for me is like heroin. Um, so it just goes to show how different we all are. Um, but I was also surprised by how much I related to people who were entirely different than me just because we were all obsessed with food. So I hear a bulimic share about like, you know, throwing up in a bag and putting it under the bed at Thanksgiving. And I would be like, that's so funny. And I can relate, even though I've never done that. Like, I can relate to the insanity of the ways that we act with food. And so, you know, finally I was at a meeting and this woman was sharing. Um, after the meeting, we were all talking fellowship. And she just said, you know, um, well, like the goal is to be happy, joyous and free, right? And something clicked and I was like, that is the goal. Like, that's what I want. And we talked, and she had such good 
recovery and such good like spiritual recovery that I was like, okay, I want what she has. Um, and you know, when I came into these rooms, I I really just wanted. I was like, I got the spiritual stuff. I've got the steps. Me and God are like this. Like I don't need you know the spiritual side of the program. I want to know about the food. I want you to tell me what to eat. But of course, the solution is the spiritual side of the program. And um, I just became willing to really do the steps and, you know, become a newcomer again and really look at like, okay, clearly there's a disconnect between me and God when it comes to food because I'll turn everything over to God, but he needs to stay the hell away from my food because (laughs) none of his business. Um, And so I started working with her and she was like, okay, so I asked all of my sponsees to make three outreach calls a day. It's like, I've never made an outreach call a day in my life. But I was like, whatever, I'm willing to do it. So I started, and it was really scary. But, um, you know, I'd call people, I'd leave them voicemails if they didn't answer. And it really changed my recovery. Like, more than anything I've done in the program, outreach calls, regular outreach calls, just turned everything around. And, um, you know, she, we met, and we went over my abstinence and my food plan, and she explained it to me, and she was like, your abstinence is your black and white line in the sand, what you don't do with the basis of your recovery and your food plan is what you wear like a loose garment it's a tool that helps you stay abstinent and if you don't stick to your food plan one day you haven't thrown everything away tomorrow's a new day it's one day at a time so I read her my food history and she was like okay it seems to me that your compulsive overeating is centered around the dieting and the calorie counting so I'd suggest an abstinence where you don't diet and you don't calorie count and I knew that was right because it felt like I was jumping off a cliff um, so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do that. And we came up with my food plan, three meals a day with two optional snacks. And the way she explained it to me was, you have three meals a day so you can have life in between. So that food has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Um, and then you can go off and do other things. You don't need to keep thinking about it. There's no like, well, maybe I can go have some more. Well, no. I had my meal on my plate. A meal is anything that fits on a plate. Thank you. Um, and so that was really helpful. Um, to hear that and to have some boundaries around food that didn't have to be so incredibly strict that all of my time was spent thinking about it. So um, I was willing to do that. And then she said, you know, and I would suggest not having the red light foods, um, one of which was sugar. And I was like, well, this protein bar I love has sugar in it. And she's like, well, then try not to have it. I was like, damn it. And I remember sitting on the couch And I was like, I really want to go eat that protein bar, but I shouldn't, but I want to. And I felt so much anxiety that I was like, you know what? I'm feeling this anxious about it. I'm just going to go eat it. And I did. And then I felt awful. And I called her and I was like, I hate protein bar. And she was like, it's okay. Like, tomorrow's a new day. Try not to eat it tomorrow. I was like, oh, okay. I'm not a failure because I ate this protein bar. And, you know, pretty soon I took away the power of it. And I was like, okay, I don't need this anymore. And... You know, I've really realized in this program, especially, there's a lot of similarities between my two programs, a lot of differences. The biggest difference is that willingness is required so much more on a daily basis, on a minute-to-minute basis in this program, and it's really difficult to, you know, keep and always muster. But I found that willingness begets willingness. So I'm like, okay, I'm not willing to put this food down, but I'm willing to make three outreach calls a day. I'm willing to call my sponsor and tattle on myself about the food. I'm willing to go to a meeting and share about it. And then pretty soon I'm willing to put the food down. 
Um, so I just, instead of saying, like, this is the thing I can't do, I say, okay, what can I do? Um, and that's really helpful um, to have, like, a program of action rather than just a program of beating the shit out of myself because I'm not doing what I think I should be doing. Um, and I worked the steps with my sponsor, and, you know, the big difference between it um, was I was finally learning how to be gentle with myself. You know, she always says I put down the whipping stick. And, you know, it's really important to, to like, be rigorously honest and to not lie to myself and rationalize and justify because I can do that till the cows come home. But really being gentle with myself when I do do things that I don't want to do or I make a decision not to do and then I do it anyway. Um, you know, if if beating the crap out of myself for overeating worked, then I would be, you know, a gorgeous skinny model and we all would be because we all do that all the time. Um, so I really realized like, okay, I have to be willing to turn my weight and my body over to my higher power. And I heard something in a meeting once where a woman said, you know, what if God wants me to be in the body that I'm in and he wants me to look exactly as I am? I really hope that's not true. <laughs> but um, I've really found, like, okay, you know, if I want to be of service to other people and I want to do the things that I want to do, then I don't have time to be obsessing about what I look like. Like, that's taking time away from me being present with other people. Because I can't be of service to a newcomer if I'm thinking to myself, God, my shorts feel really tight on me today, and God, I feel really uncomfortable about this. I'm not being of service to them at all. Um, and the only way, what I learned in OA, is the only way I can be of service is if I'm willing to be imperfect. Um, because, especially as a sponsor, if I'm focused on doing everything right, then I'm like, uh, I'm not going to help anybody but myself. But if I'm willing to make mistakes or say the wrong thing, um, then I can, I can go and I can be of service to people and I can be present. And the good news about sponsees, I've learned, is all I... You know, I've done sex with a sponsee before, and I've done a certain step, and then I've been like, oh, I was so shitty with that. I shouldn't have talked so much, or I should have listened more, or I should have been quiet. And I'm like, well, he doesn't know any better. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll get it better with the next one. Um, uh, and so sponsorship has also been a really huge part of my program, because I didn't really sponsor in my other program, and I really have sponsored a lot in this program. And it's taught me so much about boundaries. It's taught me that at the end of the day, the food doesn't matter. It's, it's why we're eating, and it's the spiritual side of the program. And I really try and share my experience with that, with my sponsees, because a lot of people come into the program, and, you know, there's a lot of shiny distractions of, like, I just want to lose weight, or I need to lose weight for health reasons, so I, I can't really focus on the steps. I just need to focus on the weight loss. And, you know, I really want to say, like, if you focus on the work, the weight will come off. But if you focus on, you know, the weight, then you'll lose your recovery. And that's really been my um, experience in the program. And I'll just wrap up and say that, um, you know, the program has given me the gift of freedom from food obsession, um, which is a miracle, just as much of a miracle as when I'm um, no longer obsessed about alcohol. And it's also helped me to be okay with my body, um, even when I'm not looking the way I personally would design myself to look. 
Um, and, you know, right now, because I have a really full life because of this program, I'm a little heavier than I was when I came in. And sometimes that makes me uncomfortable, but I don't think about it all the time. And I just remember that, like, the best thing to do is to keep showing up, to keep humbling myself, and to remember that I'm a compulsive overeater and a restrictor. So sometimes I'm going to overeat, and sometimes I'm going to restrict. But as long as I keep showing up, and I don't diet and calorie count, then I can't do anything wrong. So that's it. Thanks for letting me share. Okay, this is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you asked a question last week, please wait until the first three questions have been asked before raising your hand. Uh, if you have a question, please raise your hand. Yeah, thank you for asking. So the question is, um, I mentioned life in between, and what is that? Um, so really for me, it's anything that's not program um, and not food. Because the reason I'm working this program is to give myself a life, right? And it's to help other compulsive overeaters. So my life, you know, for me consists of like, okay, I want to write. Like, that's something I really want to pursue. That's something I really had no time for when I was restricting. And I was focusing and obsessing about the food and weight. So I've really found for me that that's an important part of my spiritual recovery is I need to make time to write on a regular basis. And if I'm not doing that, I'm not feeling fully connected to my higher power. Um, it's the relationships with people in and outside of these rooms. You know, fellowship was something I didn't have time for when I was uh, dieting because, you know, everybody would want to go out to eat and they never want to go out to eat at a place that is <laughs> appropriate for whatever diet I'm on. Um, and so I'd say, you know, no, thank you. I'm going to go home and I'm going to eat this pre-weighed, like 600 calorie meal by myself. And I couldn't even go to be present without eating like their food because I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know how to be around people eating without needing to eat what they were eating. Um, and so, you know, my life now is I have a lot of uh, friends and fellows that I'm able to, I went out to dinner last night after a meeting and that was really fun and I wasn't obsessing about the food that was on the table, um, which, you know, I did obsess about the food on the table for my first few months of abstinence. Um, but, you know, slowly but surely, that was sort of stated. Um, and then, you know, I have a partner now, and I was able to pursue a relationship. And that was something that, uh, you know, I didn't mention this in my share, but I pretty much eradicated my sex drive when I was dieting. And I had no, none of that for like two years. And it was terrifying. And it really made me feel like really scared and really like questioning my higher power like what's going on like I, I feel like there's something wrong with me I don't feel human and like the grace of this program is that I got absent in October and then like around March of 2020 I was like it started to come back and I was like thank God and then we were plunged into a worldwide pandemic I was like well I guess God just wants me to be celibate for a little longer um, but like that's the kind of life that I can have because 
all of my time is not taken up by food. Um, and I wouldn't have any of that. I wouldn't have my partner um, if I wasn't in this program, especially because I met him in this program. So <laughs> <laughs> just goes to show what happens when you continue to show up and focus on, you know, the people in the rooms instead of food. So thank you. Yes. You said you grew up with a healthy concept of a higher power. Did that change or how did the relationship grow? In yeah, thank you. Um, so the question is, I grew up with a higher power, um, and how did it change and grow during the program? Um, well, the biggest thing is my relationship with higher power has changed in both programs. The first time it was, um, you know, I think the drinking really eliminated that connection of feeling like somebody was listening to me when I was talking. Um, and so I, I really wanted that back, and my other program gave that back to me. But then... I still wasn't, like, fully willing to give everything over to my higher power. There were still some things I wanted for me. Like, I was, you could ask me, like, if, you know, if it was your higher power's will for you to do this and that, would you be okay with that? And I'd say, absolutely. And it was like, okay, if it's your higher power's will for you not to be skinny, would you be okay with that? And I'd be like, absolutely not. God can go screw himself. Like, I'm going to be skinny. And, um... I just knew that, like, okay, the way I feel about this is obviously not God's will for me. Um, and what, something that really stuck out to me in the OA 12 and 12, which is such an amazing piece of literature. I mean, uh, just reading that alone, I was like, I'm home. Um, but it talked about how, like, if God really cares about me and I'm obsessing about the food on my plate, then God cares enough to care about the food on my plate. Um, because there's such a sense of, like, it's just, like, bread. God is like, get over it, girl. Like, you know, we, you need to be able to deal with this. But really, if, if, if the bread is causing me to have a panic attack, I trust that God cares enough to help me through it and to care about that for me. Um, so I really realized, like, there's nothing that my higher power isn't willing to help me out with if I'm just willing to ask. Um, and having faith that, like, God could manage my weight. That was a big one because, you know, I started gaining a little bit of weight in program because I was underweight, and uh, that was scary. And I just had to say, okay, I'm doing the right thing. I have to believe that. I have to believe that God wants me to be the weight that I'm at. And pretty soon my weight settled, and it was 10 pounds above what I thought it was going to be. But, you know, what do you know? I felt better about my body. 10 pounds heavier than I ever had before in my life. And so I was like, okay, that, what more proof do I need that God can manage my weight for me? So, thank you. Yes? So, when you spoke about having rationalizing thoughts or uh, dishonest patterns, so when you, in recovery now, when you go into those patterns of, like, rationalization and dishonesty, what are the steps that you take or... Yeah. So the question is, how do I get myself out of the pattern of rationalizing um, bad behavior? Um, yeah. I mean, first of all, I, I've gotten really bad at lying to myself and really bad at, at convincing myself of things. Um, but the further away I am from program and the further away I am from higher power, the easier it is to do. So I found that. So. 
I mean, honestly, the biggest thing is I can, I might not really realize where I'm going until I'm, you know, halfway there. But once I have that moment of realization, like, oh, I'm, I've been making some bad decisions with food lately and I've just been on autopilot. Um, really, the only solution I have is to be like, okay, it's time to get back into it. Like, it's time to get back on the saddle. It's time to call people. I need to, the first thing I do is call my sponsor and say, hey, I've been, who knows where, veering off that way with food. So I want to tell on myself at that. And I get her experience, strength, and help. And then I try and start making more outreach calls again. Um, and I talk to other people and I say, hey, I'm really noticing this with myself. And then, um, you know, the more, like, connected I feel, the easier it becomes to recognize when I'm rationalizing and to make a different decision. Um, so, yeah, it's really just kind of rededicating myself to program and reminding myself of the tools that I have that I continually forget about because it's a disease of forgetting. So, thanks. Yes. Uh, thank you for your share. How has your relationship with your family and, let's say, long-time close friends changed uh, in the fact that you've found recovery and they are maybe still acting in some of the same behaviors, especially if they remind you of some of the things that they used to do or how you used to be? Sure. So the question is, how's my relationship with my family and close friends? Um, now that my behaviors have changed, but theirs may not have. Um, well, it's interesting. I've really, really gotten the gift of knowing that my food is not their food and other people's food decisions has nothing to do with me, um, which was really difficult because, you know, my mom also became friends with my friend who taught her a lot about losing weight. You know, she's had her own issues with weight in the past and I became very codependent with her weight loss and I'd be like, really, you're choosing to eat that? Like, I thought you were on this plan. And I really realized, like, A, I was doing this because I was afraid, because I want my mom to be healthy and live a long life. And to me, the fear comes up around her mortality. And I had to be like, okay, if I can turn my weight over to my higher power, I have to turn my mom's weight over to my higher power. Um, and I realized it's not helpful <laughs> to have anybody um, talk about your food. Um, and, you know, my sister's a big struggle because she's had her own issues with food in the past, but she, you know, she will eat stuff that I think is unhealthy and and will talk to me about my food in a very critical and judgmental way, and she's not very good with boundaries. Um, so when I'm around her, I know, like, okay, food's not a conversation. Like, if she starts talking about my food, I'm like, I don't want to talk about my food. Um, and, you know, I've lost my temper with her a couple of times, and I've had to talk to my parents and be like, can you tell her to stop talking to me about my food? Um, but it's just the tools I need to protect myself. It's like boundaries. Um, you know, I get a lot of uh, what I've learned about boundaries from my sponsor. Um, she's really taught me a lot about that. And I think the biggest struggle probably has been dating another compulsive overeater because there is this sense of like wanting to bring out the best in each other. But sometimes when one of us acts out, the other's like, oh, good, now I can act out. And so. It's really reminding myself, like, if I, thank you, five minutes, if I uh, see somebody else that I care about overeating, A, I don't need to be like, hey, don't do that, and B, I don't need to then overeat myself. Um, you know, it's something I'm still learning, but 
it feels like amongst the part of this program that's like, okay, I can deal with being imperfect with this and one day at a time. So, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So the question is, how soon do you need to get a sponsor and what should you look at when getting one? So I would definitely recommend getting a sponsor as soon as possible. But with that being said, I was always told to find a sponsor who has what you want. So somebody who you hear them share in meetings and you're like, wow, I really like their recovery. Or there's something about their story you really relate to. Um, like especially like, you know, I think if I were bulimic, I would probably really want a sponsor who had dealt with that um, because I'd want to know what they what tools they use to stay away from that. With that being said, if I had, as a non-bulimic, if I had a sponsor who was bulimic, that wouldn't preclude them from being my sponsor because they still have all the rest of the stuff with food. Um, but it's really just sort of about listening to my gut. Um, but then one other thing I find really helpful in the search for a sponsor is it's not like you're signing a contract with the devil and signing your soul over forever. Like, you can ask somebody, like, hey, I really need somebody to call and, and check in with, and, and you can start working with somebody right away. Um, and then after a little while, maybe you meet somebody else and you really like their recovery, and you say to your first sponsor, like, hey, um, thank you so much, but I, I'm going to go and work with this person. And that's totally fine because we all get it because it's a life or death disease. It's just helpful to tell them you're leaving because I've had sponsors who I'll see a year later and they'll be like, I'd love to thank my sponsor, Brian, for my recovery. I'm like, oh, I thought I was your sponsor. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you really, as long as you're, like, communicate with your sponsor, I mean, you can't go wrong. Um, it's just having another person to call and watch the steps. Yeah. Hi, um, thank you for sharing your, your journey with us. It's very fascinating. Yeah. So the question is, what is orthorexia, which I mentioned in my share? So basically, um, and this is just my understanding of it, um, it's just like an obsession with healthy eating. Um, so to a, to a point where it goes beyond like the normal desire to eat healthy. So for me, how that looked was I was like, okay, I can't eat any like. I don't have any restrictions health-wise that mean that I can't have gluten, but I also can't have gluten. Um, can't have anything that's in the least way processed. Can't have anything with sugar. Can't have anything like this, that, and the other. And so what I could have was so small and so obsessive that, like, my life was just really, really small. Um, and I have a friend who, you know, not to take his inventory, but uh, it's the friend who was my mentor, and he said to me, like, I can't eat anything for dinner tonight because all the shops are closed and um, I don't want to go out. And I was like, well, why don't you just order something delivered? And he's like, there's nothing healthy enough in Los Angeles for me to order delivered. And I was like, okay, well, that's insane. <laughs> like, to me, and again, not taking anybody else's inventory, but that, that would be orthorexia for me, is like the, the, the belief that I could not possibly find something healthy enough for me to eat. Yeah. Anybody got time for, like, one more question? Yes? Thanks, Joe, so much. Uh, you talked about, like, uh, making mistakes with sponsees and saying, well, I don't know. Do you ever have the, uh, the 
struggle of the spontaneous struggling that you make it like it's your fault and yeah, so the question is, do I ever struggle? If a sponsee is struggling, do I ever blame myself? Um, I, I've had a lot of feelings like that, especially in the beginning. Um, you know, if, if it's not working for a sponsee, I might be like, oh, what am I doing wrong? What am I not saying? Um, but something my sponsor said that I found so helpful is my only job is to share my experience, strength, and hope. I don't have any experience that I don't have. So if somebody, if a sponsee has a problem that I don't, that I've never dealt with, there's no way I can solve that for them. So what I do is I share my experience or I guide them back to the rooms. I'll say like, okay, well you should share about that in a meeting and see if anybody else has any experience with that. Or you should maybe pursue outside help for that. Um, because that sounds like something that you really want somebody who knows what they're talking about. Um, and if sponsees make mistakes and, you know, um, if they have a binge or if they have a slip or something like that, you know, I really got from my sponsor, like, they'll call me and be afraid I'm going to yell at them. And I'm like, I want the best for you. Like, I don't you be so hard on yourself. You know, you're here, you're showing up. And I've had enough times of calling my sponsor and saying, oh, I overate. Oh, I've fallen off for the last week. And she's like, you're doing everything right because you're showing up, you're being honest about it. And that's all you can do. And so I try and remind myself that when I call my sponsor, she's going to remind me to be gentle with myself and not beat me up. Um, but I still forget. And I pass that along to my sponsees, that sort of grace. So thanks. I think that's time.